0: Psalm in the number 27, then, this morning, please. Psalm in the number 27. The verse 1 of Psalm in the number 27, the Word of God says, "'The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?' When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. My mine head shall be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path, because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord." We're continuing then in our series on Teach Us to Pray, and we've spent much of this series looking at what we could term as being the reasons we pray, the exhortations that have been given to us to continue in our prayers, and the patterns, of course, already laid down for us in prayer. But this morning, we shift our focus a little bit to consider something which I didn't plan to uh, bring to your attention, nor indeed to deal with at this stage of our series. But nevertheless, the Lord has had a different plan, and thus, because of His leading, together with, of course, some valid questions and queries from curious hearts, I want to address this question today on what to do after we pray. And so the message is simply entitled this morning, I've prayed, now what? You see, undoubtedly, we all are people here gathered to gather together in the sight of God, and we're thoroughly convinced that the prayer that we are encouraged to exhibit, and indeed to enter into in, li- in our lives, is prayer that is worthwhile, We know and we have ample evidence in our own lives, and indeed in the Word of God, to confirm that there is real power in prayer. We're undoubtedly thoroughly also convinced about the need to pray, that we should be always before the Lord. But perhaps as we gather this morning, there may be some amongst us, amongst whom there is found a sense of disappointment disappointment that prevails in the heart and in the mind, because despite having the motivation and purpose for prayer, despite being willing to acknowledge at all points that the judge of all the earth always does what's right, despite coming before the Lord with the utmost reverence and indeed humility, And despite seeking to go a little further in prayer and embody an earnest spirit of prayer, and indeed embody and typify a spirit of faith in prayer, the Lord has yet to grant that which we brought. We're here this morning, the great need hasn't been met, the soul hasn't been saved. The door hasn't been opened. The burden hasn't been lifted. The danger hasn't assuaged. Here today, if perhaps we were honest, some amongst us would say we are a little deflated, a little discouraged, a little disheartened, perhaps even depressed, because, oh, we have prayed, but since the answer never came immediately then our emotions have been somewhat affected by that delay. So we've prayed. What are we to do? David's response is given to us in verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say. On the Lord. Now this morning you will identify that as an academic truth. You'll identify that as a theological truth. You will identify that as a biblical truth, but living it out is something of a greater difficulty for us. But as we come to consider this truth, this truth of waiting on the Lord, it's important to say that this is a truth that we must grasp hold of. It's another crucial part of what it means to be in the secret place, because the theme of this message is directly connected to verse 1 of Psalm 91, where it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place. That idea of dwelling, you'll remember, that as we noted at the very beginning of our studies, wasn't rushing into the presence of the Lord, unburdening our hearts and laying before Him all that concerned us, and then simply getting on with our day. No, it was taking that time to sit in His presence, to tarry a while, to wait a while, to rest a while, to wait. You see, to dwell is to wait. It is to stay that little bit longer. It is to linger. It's to linger beyond what we would term a natural pause. But the truth is that in our frantically paced lives here in the year 2022, you and I don't like to wait for anything. We don't like to wait on any one. Right, there's someone here this morning who's already known the frustration of waiting today. Waiting to access the shower, the bathroom this morning. Waiting on the good lady of the house to finally get everything together and get out the door. Waiting in a line of traffic behind the cycling club who's out on a Sunday morning. The truth is that in any or all of these scenarios, few of us are good at waiting. It's easier to do a multitude of things other than to wait. It's hard to wait. And the impatience of waiting is programmed into us from a very young age. We impatiently count down the days to the special times in life. Christmas, birthdays, holidays, And then that continues with us as we impatiently wait on fast food at the restaurant, or we in recent days have had to queue to get into Tesco, or perhaps you feel my pain here this morning and you're still waiting on Man United to win another trophy. But whatever the case may be, we don't like to wait. But yet when we read this psalm, this psalm number 27, and we read what is at least one prayer of David's heart, many of the commentators suggest that this is actually two prayers cobbled together to give us one psalm. But whatever the case may be true about that point, we come to consider what is undoubtedly an expression of David's heart. And we see that despite evident need, Despite evident burden that is upon his heart, and despite the requested belief for that burden to be lifted, yet the very final thought that he leaves us with, yet the very final comment that he makes is simply this, wait on the Lord. So today you may say, well, I have done what Scripture exhorts me to do. In my day of trouble, I have cried unto the Lord. When my heart was overwhelmed, I have cried unto the Lord. When I needed direction, when I needed guidance, when I needed an open door, when I needed provision, I have cried unto the Lord. When I knew the need of a loved one, of a family member, of a work colleague, especially in the matter of their soul salvation, I have cried unto the Lord. What am I to do? And the answer is, wait. You see, believer, this morning, God brings us all to points in our lives. He brings us all to circumstances. He brings us all to situations. And unknown circumstances, in those situations, at those points in our lives, the reality is that all we can do is wait. But the unchanging truth of Scripture remains to be that when we are waiting, God is working. And in His time, in His perfect time, He will grant the very petition, the very cry of our heart. So this morning, the answer to the question, what to do after you pray, is wait. Wait on the Lord. And yes, in saying all of that and indeed of rehearsing the truth that is laid before us, you have learned nothing new this morning. But perhaps I could suggest to you this morning that God doesn't desire to teach you anything new. He desires to teach you how to apply an old truth. Because the answer is the same as it was to David. What to do whenever you've prayed. But what you and I need to do in these days, what we need to learn to do over and over again, is learn how to wait just as David did. We need to learn how to wait upon the Lord. So this morning I have a desire to be intensely spiritual, but I have a desire to be, as Samuel Chadwick once put it, thoroughly practical because I want to help you from the Word of God learn how to wait as God would have us to wait. The first thing that we see in this chapter, we speed down to the the end of verse 7 because in the first seven verses we identify prayer requests that you and I have need of so often in our lives. These are the burdens that are upon his heart. These are the requests that he brings. And no doubt, spending time meditating upon these at a later point of today, you will identify things that run true about you. But coming down to the waiting part of the chapter then, verses 8 through to the end of the chapter, we identify first and foremost that as we wait, point number one, we need to do our devotions. Look at verse 8 when he says, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face will I seek. And here in this verse we get an indication that David is not only praying to the Lord, but he's also a man who is in the word of the Lord. He's receiving from the Lord. We know, of course, that David sits upon the throne in a time whenever the available Scripture to him would have been primarily the books of the law. But in a rehearsal of all that God had done for the, for the nation of Israel in its history, especially when it came to the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy, we, had a, we see a continual exhortation given by God to His people to seek His face. And so there's no doubt in my mind that as David is rehearsing here before the Lord, that he's referring to that which he knows to be true from the Word of God. When thou says, seek my face, then his response was to seek God's face. And so, yes, David had many needs. He had many pressing burdens. There was many things that concerned him. But here, David patterns to us someone who is in the Word of the Lord and someone who is continually before the face of the Lord. And for you and I, that is simply described as being our devotional life. And isn't it true that whenever you and I feel as it were, a little down, a little deflated, a little discouraged, when we have many questions as to what God is doing in our lives and as to why we have to wait on certain things, as to why God isn't entering in at that very moment, why He isn't answering that prayer in that very instant, the very first thing to go for so many of us is our devotional life. We don't desire to be in the Word of God like we once did. We don't set aside that time. We would rather do anything and everything rather than open the Word of God. And whenever the heart is heavy, whenever the heart's overwhelmed, whenever the heart is filled with fear and anxiety, one of the hardest things that so many believers profess over and over and over again to come to is prayer. But yet through it all, God's Word continually reminds us That our devotional life is of the utmost importance, even in days when we're waiting. Perhaps it's fair of me to say, in light of the Word of God, especially in days when we're waiting. You and I are connected to this world. If I was to ask to anyone and everyone to raise their hand who has viewed some news report as to what's going on in Ukraine within the last 24 hours, I would dare say we'd be close to a unanimous vote on that. We're so connected to what's going on in this world. But how is it that so often in our own lives we're not connected enough to the maker of this world? We don't... Have that lively experience of spending time in His Word, of spending time in His presence. Cast your mind back to the early days of your life with Christ. How that there was a a real appetite for God how there was a real appetite for His Word, how you couldn't get enough of His Word, how you were intent on studying and knowing more and knowing Him more and being in His presence more. I tell you, that's the point that we all need to get back to in our lives. Think right back to the beginning of the scriptural record and identify there in the Garden of Eden God's desire to walk with us but that we might also walk with him. He it was who came into the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam walked with him. Adam talked with him. And I don't believe that anything that happened in Eden, anything that has happened since Eden, has changed the desire of God that those who know him, those who are in a right relationship with him, might know what it is to walk with Him. And so when you're waiting, when your prayers have been offered unto the Lord and the great petitions you have brought to His feet, in those days of waiting, do your devotions. Number two, verse 9 and 10. Dally not on disappointment. Dally not on disappointment. Simply I'm saying, don't remain discouraged. Because what happens whenever you remain discouraged is you become disillusioned. That's exactly where the devil would have us all to be. Disillusioned with life disillusioned with the things of God. But the reality also is that all of us will know disappointment in life. Notice the source of disappointment in verse 9. Ourselves. We'll be disappointed with how we've reacted in a moment. We'll be disappointed with how we've fail to avail of the opportunities that God gives to us? Will there be disappointment that we ran so well for a time, but then everything just seemed to unravel. But we're not to dally on that disappointment. Hide not thy face from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. David here is testifying of one who believes that God is less than pleased with that which he has done, that which he has said, that which he has been involved in. But moving on from that is essential. Why? Because to remain there means that he is not connected to God as he should be. But not only is it personal disappointment, but look in verse 10, relational disappointment. There are others in your life who will fail you. And perhaps the greatest tragedy, of course, is no one whenever a father and a mother forsakes their children. That, for many, is the unthinkable. That's a relationship that's always constant. That's a relationship that will always remain firm and secure. But yet, the psalmist says, there is even the possibility that that relationship may be severed. But it says there at the end, then the Lord will take me up. And so you may be here this morning, you've been disappointed. You're disappointed with yourself, your disappointment with others. You've joined the club of all the saints of Scripture. Is it not true that Peter and Paul disappointed each other? The two eminent apostles of the New Testament scriptures, and yet there came a point where they had to separate. Is it not true that in every instance of ch- church life and every instance of even an expression of the work of God here on earth, there will be that sense of disappointment experienced by all connected at one time or another. But in such times, the psalmist reminds us the Lord will take us up. And the Lord is to be the one upon whom we focus our hearts and our minds. Why? Because there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And so this morning, if you're disappointed with yourself, if you're disappointed with someone else who's near and dear to you, if you're perhaps even disappointed with someone here in this fellowship, lift your eyes of the things of time. Don't dally on disappointment and look to the Lord. Wait on Him. Do your devotions. Dally not in disappointment. Verse 11 and 12, despair not in danger. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. And yes, the the psalmist here is alluding to those who stand against him, who stand against that which is involved in, and it remains to be this day that for the child of God there are many enemies, and they're vocal, and there are people and organizations and their schemes and plans of mighty force but we're not to despair and danger because the Lord is our God. The psalmist here says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path. And through all of the trouble of life and through all of the changing circumstances in life, and yes, through even all the threats of danger and harm, God is able to guide us. You have to be willing to be led. You have to be open to that leading which he alone can provide. But through every danger, toil, and strife, our God is able to deliver. And so waiting on the Lord, do your devotions. Waiting on the Lord, dally not in disappointment. Waiting on the Lord, despair not in danger. Waiting on the Lord, number four, delight in the expectation of a new dawn. I had fainted. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh yes, despair is all around. And oh yes, the circumstances of life seem to be so overwhelming and they seem to be all-consuming and they seem to be that which prevails day after day and there seems to be no end in sight. But through it all, God is constantly reminding us that He is able to do a new thing, that He is able to do a new work, that He is able to breathe life into the lifeless, that He is able to correct correct that which is wrong. The goodness of the Lord can and will be seen in our lifetime again, I firmly believe it. But you and I have to be faithful in the waiting. Never lose sight of the fact that He is able to deliver us never lose sight of the fact that his arm arm is not shortened that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, that he is not the God who is willing at any moment to enter in and to change all that prevails in your life and in our lives together. Yes, you may be at that point where you feel faith, strength, courage, It's almost gone. But the psalmist says, Wait on the Lord. So this morning you've prayed. You've brought that burden, that petition before the one who alone is able to deliver. Do your devotions, don't dally in disappointment. Despair not in danger and delight in the expectation of a new dawn. God is able. And the moment that any of us lose sight of that or lose confidence in that fact, then we're beat already. But let us not be overwhelmed. Let us not be downtrodden. Let us not be those who Live as if we are a defeated people because we are a victorious one. We are those who fight from the victory accomplished at Calvary to the great victory of the grand redemption of our soul. And he is our captain. And he will not fail you. He will not fear, fail us. So wait, I say, on the Lord. Father, help us all to wait. Help us all to do that which is necessary in the waiting. Help us all to delight in a God who never fails. Give us that hope, that confidence that transcends life and all of its challenges, its difficulties, and its turmoils. And help us to lay hold upon the truth, That thou art the one who is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And thou dost desire to do a new thing amongst us, to the praise and to the glory of thy name. Hear us as we call, in our weakness make us strong. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope. We'll sing through this twice, and as we sing through it, if you're not remaining for uh, the observance of the Lord's table, then feel free to leave after we move on from this slide to the next.